Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and welcome to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks everybody who listened to um, my episode on Urusayas or a Beautiful Dreamer. I, I know that was a weird one, especially since I had the whole rant about Crunchyroll in the beginning, but I I really enjoyed that big, weird, beautiful thing that is or a theos or a beautiful dreamer and I just was struck by it when I thought when I was in the throes of my tummy troubles and I wanted to talk about it but I ended up putting it off to talk about Tenjo Tenge and maybe one other thing I do this week to week folks and I can't I can't fucking remember I like I so, so this is weird when I get to the point at which I'm recording a new episode, it feels like I haven't done an episode in three months, even though I look at it, I'm like, no, I did an episode last third day, like I always do. Um, or in this case, I'm recording it a little earlier because it's going to be some life shit, and I'm not going to be able to record it the night of and hit publish. So I'm going to record this now. At an unspecified date, at an unspecified location, and it'll publish on its own because I'm magic. But um, yeah, so I had a lot of fun talking about that. Thank you to everybody who listened, who listened to it. To anybody who did not listen to it, you can find it. It's the one under the one you're listening to now. Um, but. Uh, some of you may have noticed that I have added a little um, singy to the... That I've changed the way that you get to the quote-unquote podcast. Now, if you click a link, if you see me in... in if you if, if you catch me on the gram... Okay, that sounds... That, that feels weird to say out loud. I mean, I want to be full-on millennial and say it that way, but I cannot because... It makes me feel like I should have a goatee and a tribal tattoo. Um, <laughs> no offense to anybody who's like, that's your saying, but, uh, so, um, I, when I used to post something on Instagram, it would just go straight to the Apple link, but apparently that did not jive so well with people who do not use the Apple phones or the iPhones or whatever the hell. So I started using a link to um, the actual page on the apps I published this on, um, what's it called, on on Anchor, to, to my actual Anchor page, where you can subscribe in basically every single podcast app you could want. You can press a little button, and it'll take you there. But what's also there, which may freak some people out, so I want to take this time to acknowledge it, and then we can all understand and move on from it. Um, not We can all accept it and move on. Not understand. We'll get to that in a second. Um, the, the, uh, the thing that there is a support me link, and it's not like I'm, like, jonesing for your money, trust me. I, this, is, this is something I have done for a couple in some form or another, a couple years now, I've put out a podcast ostensibly about cartoons and nerdy shit. 
I tried to put out a serious podcast, and I just wasn't into it, so it very quickly just straight up backslid into cartoons. Sometimes me talking about cartoons with friends, sometimes me talking about cartoons by myself. Lots of me talking about cartoons by myself lately, because uh, friends have shit they need to do in the middle of the night, in the middle of the week, that I can't interrupt, because that would make me, say it with me, a shitty friend. Um, but, the, <laughs> I just thought I would put it up in case you really love this thing a lot and you wanted to maybe give me a dollar a month. Just be like, hey, I really like what you do. Here's a dollar. Probably even less than a dollar. Like, probably it amounts to like, here's 89 cents is probably what will happen. But, um, if you really like this, you can go and you can click on the link in the link in the you can click on the button in the just at the link in the description of this podcast and you can do and you can donate to me once a month and like I said I this will never I will never stop doing this podcast not I'm not going to commit to I will never because life happens but I will if I stop doing this podcast, it will not be because, damn it, I'm not making money at the podcast because it's it's the year of our Lord 2018 and everybody and their uncle has a podcast and I am I am no Mark Marin. I am neither neurotic nor obsessed enough to like capture an audience in that way. So I know I'm just I, I know I'm not going to be the next podcast billionaire. I just thought I would give people the option to appreciate me monetarily if they feel like it. So if you feel like it, you can click on the link below and you can go do that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I promise I'm not going to just talk about maybe giving me money all the time. But I thought I'd bring it up here just so you know that, like, that's not what I'm expecting out of listeners of me. Because I, w- I wouldn't want that expected of me if I was a listener of somebody else. Um, since, yo, there's a lot, there's lots of ways you can give lots of people lots of money right now, and I just, I want it, I want my, you guys, my listeners, to know that that's not where we're at. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is a little show by Studio Trigger. Now, I've only ever done one other show by Studio Trigger. Um, that's Kill a Kill. Uh, you can also listen to that in somewhere in the library of this podcast. But it's a little show that I literally just finished, like, less than probably 15 minutes ago, or have long we've been recording. Less than, less than seven minutes, less than eight minutes ago, I finished a little show called Kid Niper.
So, before we get into the show proper, I want to bring up the kind of floating specter of any show by Studio Trigger, and that is the Studio Trigger was involved. Um, you, you see this with any show they get anywhere close to. And the reason for that is they usually pick pretty even with their first official show, Kill a Kill, they usually pick pretty raw subject matter somehow. And, um, and Kill a Kill and also their subject matter usually has a lot to do with friendship and relationships and, like, love and platonic love and found family and all that crap. Um, and Kidniver is certainly no different. Um, so... And I believe Kidniver came out in 2015. I'm not sure... Um, but I, I've got the thing open, but that's because I've got the, um, Wikipedia in front of me, but that's because I can't remember all the characters' names in sequence. Because, once again, literally just finished watching this thing less than ten minutes ago. Um, but, so, this is, so Kidniver is in the mold of a show that Studio Trigger would do. Very much so, because it focuses almost exclusively on friendship, the meaning of friendship, and the meaning of connecting in a real way with another person. And I think that's really actually a great thing for a show to highlight and for a show to attempt to... Under, shine some light on, even if it's in a very anime-centric way, um, because think about how much time you, the listener of this podcast, spend on your phone. You're probably you're probably listening to this podcast right now on your phone. You're probably you could be on a train, on on a bus, in the car. But the act of listening to a podcast, unless you listen, to, unless you're specifically listening to it with a friend, is solitary. And so much of what we're encouraged to do now is solitary. Yes, it, there are social aspects to it. Yes, you are, you know, texting a friend. You are tweeting out things on social media. You are Facebook posting, and like your aunt in the in the Caribbean can see you and blah, 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 blah. But none of that, none of that is a real physical in-person connection with another person. You can, you can argue that it is a connection with another human being, but it's not... There's a, there's a degree of space there. And there's a degree of, um, you doing it on your own terms. If you tweet something, if you post something, if you, you know, play words with friends with a certain person, you are, you and that person are both 
looking into yourselves and saying, I want to do this right now. It is not forced on you to spend time with that person. It is not for it is not forced on that person to spend time with you. It's not forced on that person to spend time with you. It is a holy, solitary decision that you are saying, okay, for this period of time, I'm going to tweet and or I'm going to have a text message conversation. Phone calls work exactly the same way. If you get really pissed off at somebody, you can hang up and you cannot take their call. We've all been there. More than we'll probably admit. But what this, what Kidsniver does in its plot, with its main plot device, which is connecting the with connecting the eight characters with by connecting their wounds or basically making it so they feel the same pain as every as each other person in their group meaning so like so like let's say a let's say a um a character stubs their toe. The other seven people in the group also feel that toe stub. They feel that physical pain. And they they have a great kind of like video artifacting glitch effect that happens when somebody gets hurt. Um, to demonstrate that. But by connecting, but by connecting all of them in that way, they force these people who exist in a very solitary way to, whether those people realize it or not, to truly connect to each other and not... And here's the thing that I think is so great about Kiesniver, because lots of times when people are in a relationship, they want to understand the other person. And they, they want this... They want this primary understanding of another, of another, of a whole other human. <laughs> and that's not always possible. But they skip a step. But be, that's mostly because they're skipping a step. And to do that, to demonstrate this, I'm going to use myself as an example because I have the easy example of this I can think of. I am physically disabled. I'm not mentally disabled. It stops at the physical. Basically what that means is I can't use one hand. But I'm also multiracial. Or biracial or however you want to call it. I'm a zebra. I'm a zebra baby. Meaning that I'm half black, half white. So there is a large portion of human experience that I just don't. I just don't slot into. I am not the like able-bodied. I'm not. I'm not the completely able-bodied white dude that you know a billion other people are. I'm, but I'm also not the you know a, 
I'm also not black. And on top of that, I am, I am disabled to such a, to, in a very real way, but not in a way that inherently hindered most of what I do. So the way I always, the way I always posit the limits, the limits my disability puts on me is, okay, look, I can't tie my shoes and I can't do a pull up. Those are the two things. That's it. Maybe I can't, I can't do the rope course in gym. All like little bullshit things that you don't need every day that you didn't need it every day in high school, but they tried to make you do every day because they were assholes. But because I'm not, like, wheelchair-bound or any of that, I'm also not very easily slotted into the category of a real disabled person. Most disabled people look at me and they say, and they think, oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's got two work. He's got two legs that can move and carry him forward. He's fine. He's got all of his limbs. He's fine. He can see. No problem. But what this does for me as a person is occasionally, it it I go through periods when this happens a lot. I just stop feeling like I'm. surrounded by people, I feel completely isolated and completely disconnected from my surroundings. And it's like, I basically have an out-of-body experience. And it's very strange, very disconcerting. And the first question people always ask me is, or the the first thing people always want to do is they want to understand it. But the understanding doesn't come from a place of wanting to... It comes from a place of wanting to help. But what it comes from is it comes from a place of wanting to fix it so we can all move on. So the whole... So us as a unit, me and whoever those people are, can just move on. But the step they skip is really important because they go straight from finding out about it to wanting to understand to wanting to fix in like light speed. But what nobody does and what this show demonstrates kind of masterfully, what Keith Keith Niver demonstrates kind of masterfully is Everybody, all eight characters, through being bound by their wounds and through being becoming friends, learn to accept each other and learn to accept just that someone's just the way they are. That that person doesn't need to be fixed. Their problem, their problems sometimes can't be fixed, but by accepting that person as a whole, they help that person know that they're not alone. And this show takes eight different characters and mashes them together all all but Brady Bunch style and says, okay, 
You're forced. All of you are forced to be to be together, no matter what you do, because if you're hanging out, if you fall, if you slip in the shower, and like land on your ass, everybody feels it. Everybody's like, "Ah, oh, fuck! What was that? Who was that? God damn it!" And as a result. They all have to care about each other's well-being. And not only that, um, I think it's by episode, I want to say three or four, they start to experience each other's emotions. And that, and that takes them from the level of just accepting each other from, to the level of starting to understand each other. And that's kind of the way it should go. But the interesting part about this show is you start off with this with this main character who's like the best way I can describe Kasuhira is Kasuhira is the ostensibly the our like introduction to all these characters because there's no there are main Kasuhira is definitely the main character of the show. He's the characters the show focuses on but for much of the show there's not a overt main character so we come in at Kasuhira Agatha and he can't feel any pain and for those I forget what it's called but there is a disease where like a person where a human being lacks the ability to feel pain. And if you ever wonder why that would be useful, it's because pain is basically the thing that tells the human body to stop. Which means that if you were to drop something in a fire and you wanted to get that thing and your brain just was like, oh, I need my phone back. And you reach into the fire, the fire burns, and you stop. That stops you from going all the way full on into the fire and just dying. Now, that's a stupid example, but it's, uh, it, you, you get the point. But Katsuhiro can't feel pain for whatever reason, and he basically spends his days getting the shit kicked out of him by kids in his, by these two punk kids in his class who are extort or taking all of his money. And at it's at that point you meet Hajime. And Hajime is this like is this, this like this punk, this like street punk, street thug looking guy who defends who defends Kasuhira and says like give him his money back and all this other stuff it's it's it feels like a scene directed by people who had something to do with Gurren Lagann because there was a lot and there's a lot of Gurren Lagann DNA in this show from the um designs of the mascot characters to some of the scenes woven through the show. 
And that's how you're introduced to that's how you're introduced to Kashira and Hajime. You you meet Noriko Noriko, who is uh, or you meet uh, Chidori. Sorry, like I said, I have a hard time keeping the names straight in this show. Um, you meet Chidori, who is kind of poet as. Ka- it's very clear that she loves Katsuhira, that she really, at the very least, cares for him deeply, at the very most, truly loves him. And you find out later in the show that she does truly love him. But because Katsuhira is, like, a piece of tofu, uh, that, uh, he do, he never, by the time he realizes that, that she feels that way, he's already developed feelings, or redeveloped feelings, Spoiler alert for Noriko, the the kind of patron saint of this experiment that they're all kid that all eight characters are kidnapped and forced into uh, kidnapped for and forced into called the Kizna experiment experiment. And what the Kizna experiment is is it like I said at the beginning of this, it's as far as I can tell, an implant that connects all of them by their, at first, physical pain, and then emotional pain, and then, like, emotional trauma-level pain, basically. And the idea behind this, the idea behind this experiment is, if, and it's a, it's a sound one, it's, it makes a lot of sense, and the thing about, the thing about, trigger shows that I appreciate other than the like artistry of trigger people but the artistry of trigger people is like it's just the artistry of creative people but the um the but but, so I'm gonna go on a little rant here the trigger is unique in the world of anime because they have couched themselves as being real artists and they are but the thing that they are really doing is they are figuring out a way to make what they want instead of just be, instead of only being hands for hire. Often animators and animation studios, because they get caught up in you know paying the bills, basically become hands for hire to make certain things. That's why studios like Madhouse. While they did make things like Redline, Redline almost put them out of business. They already, they also make things like Tenjo Tenge. Yes, I'm not kidding. Studio Madhouse made Tenjo Tenge. I don't think I mentioned that in the Tenjo Tenge episode, which you can listen to earlier in the um, episode stream of this podcast. But. Trigger has figured out a way to, and it's, and they started a crowdfunding campaign. They started a, a, um, a Patreon page so you can give to them directly, but they found a way to make the things they're interested in making and also make it commercially viable just because, just because somebody doesn't make something that they, is making things that commercially viable doesn't mean that A, they don't want to make them, B, it doesn't it doesn't also mean that they aren't creative. But anyway. 
by connecting all of the characters through their pain without their consent, they... The Kizna system is designed to ultimately end bring eternal peace and happiness to the world because the idea is that it will somehow act as a deterrent because it will create a kind of permanent lasting empathy for everyone else in the world if when you shoot somebody you feel like you got shot which is really amazing because if you think about a lot of the problems we're having right now if somebody had empathy for like, I, if somebody, if, oh, so here's the way I would put it. Um, some of you listening to this may have heard about the, uh, Grant, the Grand Slam finals that Serena Williams lost to Naomi Osaka. And if you go and you listen to just the audio of Naomi struggling like hell to give her acceptance speech... After just playing the game of her, playing the game, uh, for those of you who don't know what I mean by Grand Slam, I mean tennis. Playing the game of her life against her idol and winning. And the entire audience, like most of the crowd is booing her like she brought a puppy on stage and stabbed it to death. She she has managed to do an amazing thing. She has managed to win, and because no one can, no one in the stadium for a period of time, including Serena Williams, can empathize with the fact that she went up against her hero and beat her hero. Pretty badly. They don't just, at the very least, sit quietly and appreciate the fact that she won. She did something amazing. And she... She deserves to have the same celebration and at least moment of inner peace and accomplishment that any other great athlete has, but because there's no sympathy for her situation of essentially doing something that if left to her own devices, that if she had, she never, if she hadn't played tennis, she would never think about doing, they boo her. Because there is no empathy for her, for the scenario that she then, they don't even give her the opportunity to, like I said, at the very least, have a peaceful moment and just experience the fact that she won. She, she basically achieved her dream, <laughs> at, at least for the time being. And that turned that I think I heard a sport a sports uh ten, uh publisher of a tennis magazine on um the Vox podcast today explained which I think I think 
that episode came out um, on... It came out on Monday night, I want to say. What day today? Yeah, it came out on Monday night, so you can find it. You can find that on whatever podcast thing you li- you're listening to this on. But the way that she described it was she said the awards ceremony turned into a fiasco because everyone was booing. Naomi was struggling through tears to just give a basic... I'm so happy that I beat my that I beat my hero speech and Serena Williams eventually stepped up and said, "You know, like I'm I, believe me, I'm disappointed that I did not win this. But she deserves this. Let's try and just give her this because she fucking earned it." And, you know, more power to Serena for whatever happened in that match. More power to Serena. But it if those people in the stand for one moment could experience just a tense of just whatever emotions Naomi must have felt. Whatever emotions this amazing athlete must have felt after besting the reason she start the reason she starts literally the reason she started down the path towards playing the sport and the reason that she was there in the first place then maybe they would have had some idea of what it meant to her and all the complexity of that and if by the same token if you could, if anybody could experience what, so here, here's, a, here's a weird thing. I have a old family friend, a kind of surrogate older brother who went into the Marines. And one of the things they do in the Marines is they make you experience the kinds of things that Marines do to people in war. Which is interesting because they want they want you to understand the gravity of at least a tenth of the gravity of what a you might experience yourself, but b what you could possibly be doing to other people. So they basically stick you in a big box and they gas you. Now they give you gas masks, but they basically gas you and they're like, "Get that mask on real quick, or you're not gonna have a good time. You're gonna be puking for a solid." I don't know, weak. Um, but the end, off, and oftentimes in police training, they make they make you take a taser shot because they they want you to understand at a immediate level, at an immediate primal level, when I shoot this taser at this college kid, this is what it's gonna feel like for that kid. So. I better think real hard about whether I want to tase this kid. And if other, and if other thing, so like, I'm not saying every cop should get shot at least once before you, before the internet freaks out on me. I'm not saying that, but I am saying if a cop put on a bolt, if every cop in America was made to put on a bulletproof vest and just 
take one in the vest just to feel what it's like to get shot without the dying part or without the having go have the bullet removed part then they would at least have a physical flat thing they could a physical experience they could flash back to when they thought about taking their gun out and I'm not saying that police taking their gun out of the light thing I don't think it is but I think that it's I mean I know that it's resorted to a lot sooner for a lot of cases that don't really need it and the key the key knifer system is designed to instill that kind of empathy into everybody around the world basically so they put it in these eight kids and over the next 12 episodes actually over the next maybe maybe let's call it 11 episodes because the first one and a half are like about setup basically these kids they go through the full a the full range of emotions and b the full range of just scenarios because the other thing that um at first uh Noriko who is the light, who who is essentially their overseer even though she's strangely the same age as them and who they come to find out are their and two teachers who they find out are basically their handlers but also their um I think their homeroom teacher and their nurse respectively in the actual high school they attend put them through a series of missions and that series of missions is meant to make them grow closer as a group and but eventually I think it's around episode 10 and then once again there's a 12 episode show so spoilers I'm obviously talking about all of it they start to contort it um and mostly because with all and you're led to and you're gradually led to believe that they've done this a couple times and it's never and, and it's never ended well. You're not told what that means, but it's never ended well. Um, but basically, they do this to force them close together and force strong emotions, and then once they get to this level of the experiment where they, where all of the Kizna, all the people in the Kizna system while the Keithnivers can feel each other's emotions, they move it to another stage. And it's... And if it feels like I'm not talking... Like I'm skipping over some vast things or you've seen the show and you're like, what about Haji- What about Hajime and Nico's relationship? What about Honoka and Sugohito's relationship? And... What about Yoshiharu just as a weirdo? Uh, they don't really matter in the grand scheme of what the show's trying to demonstrate. They're specifics, but they're not. But they're not. 
they don't matter that much to the meat of the show. What matters is that you're seeing these, that you're seeing all of these people experience these emotions and get closer, and it, the plot device of the Kizna system is given as the excuse to be the kind of spark that starts the fire, basically. And what's really interesting about this is it's... So, I've gone on dates, and I've gone on dates with dating sites, and what's interesting about going on date, dating sites is when you're using a dating site and you get a date, you've that is essentially a version of this show's Kizna system. It is the spark that starts the fire. It is the thing that enables two people who have no who have no idea each other exist even but are within a certain radius of each other, obviously, to connect and make an effort to do something together. Now, whether or not that date goes anywhere, whatever. That's not really the point. The point is that there is very little way for a person to connect to another person without... Um, without some kind of artifice anymore because of how kind of insular we are and that has given rise to all kinds of problems and the insularness of people has allowed for a lot of political problems and a lot of world problems and a lot of all this other shit and by... And once again, the idea of the Keithness system is to bring people close together, basically, forgefully, so they don't have... So the, the reasons to fight are less than the reasons to get along, basically. But in... that, And that's the big lofty theory of the Keithness program. But the on-the-ground reality is it's it is pulling a bunch of teenagers together and allowing and forcing them to open themselves up to relationships. The kind of the best example of this is actually Honoka. And Honoka is this really kind of. <laughs> She's this girl with this, sim with this simply kind of foul personality. And it, uh, this show, the, the one regrettable thing about this show is it, it, the way that the kids are selected is they each personify what they call one of the seven deadly sins. And the seven deadly sins, as they refer to them, are different. They are are different than the ones you're thinking of, like sloth, envy, all that shit. All that shit. They are, um, idiocy, um, I think, um, self-righteousness, bad personality, 
Oh, high and mighty. I think one is um, fake eccentric. That that they're all like these traits. That they are that each character is supposed to be a personification of, and the main character, um, Katsuhira, is he's supposed to be the idiot, and he you find out later that he is not an idiot because he is choosing to be, but because he is essentially forced to be. But the thing that this, the conclusion that the show comes to, and it's a really real, it's a very real conclusion, is that whatever the artifice that a lot, that forces people open to being in any kind of relationship, be it romantic, be it friendship, be it found family, or whatever it is, the, uh, and in the end, whether or not that relationship continues is up to the people. It's up to both people. And that means that some effort needs to be put in any other way. And like I, like I started saying before I got lost in the sauce, like I usually do, the best version of that is Honoka. And Honoka, your, introdu- your introduction to Honoka is first a snide look. She gives, um... What's his face? Um, it, it, the first introduction you have to Honoka is a snide look, look he, she gives to Sugohito before she knows exactly who he is. And once she's, like, abducted and she gets the key the system put into her, they have to... Their first mission is a self-introduction. But it's not, like, a self-introduction, like, name and class, because they all try that, and they're all basically, like... They're basically tethered via Katsuhiro, who is being held as the kind of linchpin to administer punishment when they don't hold quote-unquote, hole up their end of the bargain. What the actual self-introduction is, is it's, they have to reveal one true secret about themselves that they would never tell anyone else. They basically have to tell each other their, like, deepest, darkest fears, based, or their deep, deepest, darkest secrets. And what Honoka says is, I killed someone once. And the way the way they have pitched this character, you're like, "Oh fuck, this girl may have murdered somebody." What you come to find out later, though, is that she didn't kill someone. She became friends with basically a cancer kid who ended up dying when they were middle school, and as part of that, they became a decently well-known among middle schoolers um, manga writing team or manga art manga art team and they published uh, this like small run of a overly dramatic like lesbian soap opera thing which was in actuality a reflection of their relationship and you realize that the reason why Honoka is so distant 
and why she only has brief moments of really connecting with everybody else in the group who by this point are very deeply connected to each other is because she had that deep connection and it was ripped away from her by force. It was just that that link was forcefully severed by reality and that and it became it became really really difficult for her to justify that making that connection again because her, her trust was betrayed and eventually she does make that connection again despite her own best misgivings but what they also say about Honoka is that every time you know like Sugohito, like, every time they call Sugohito, Sugohito's like, fuck off, I don't, I don't feel like dealing with you idiots right now. But every time they call Honoka, she's like, yeah, sure, fine, I'll go. Meaning that she, regardless of whether or not she does, she seems like she's doing it willingly, she always does do things willingly. She's always there. And that's because she's putting in the effort. She's putting in... She's putting in the effort of being friends with the rest of them. Until a certain point, Sugohito doesn't really. And when he finally does, he really does. And... After... And in the couple episodes at the end, when they're all removed from the Kizuna system, there's this sense of melancholy that that accompanies to like episode and a half when they're all just kind of drifting and they're not really and they're they acknowledge each other but they don't they're they're trying to not acknowledge each other in the same deep way because of the events of the show um basically they made a love octagon out of out of these kids without them without them completely realizing it actually they made a love decohedron cuz noriko gets included in this insane mess in this insane mess of teenage emotions and then it's instantly broken and after it's instantly broken you know, everybody wants to forget stuff that's painful, but stuff that's painful is important. And it's it's important to relationships. You know, if you had a fight with your best friend, you're always going to remember that fight. But the difference is that eventually the two of you don't necessarily come to understand it, but you you come to accept that it happened and you forgive each other first. And that's important. So, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that it's... Keith Niver is a... It's not a perfect show. It's... It's a... But it's a good meditation on how friendship works and what it means to be somebody's friend and what it means to be somebody's friend in a situation where they have some sort of baggage that you can't you can't deal with. You can't make go away. You can't 
force somebody to forget their best friend and first kind of first love that died of kidney that died of liver disease or kidney disease I think it was but you can't accept that it happened and you can't and by doing that you can help them not move on but begin to like live again begin to really live again because in Honoka's case you really understood that she didn't she kind of was in standstill she was doing everything she needed to do as a high schooler but she was in this weird standstill of 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 life because she didn't have anybody to share those to share the experience to share the feeling of this person who was really important to me died and in the same, in that, but in, and that's a kind of pre-setup, prefab example, but in the case of Katsuhira and Chidori, Chidori does love Katsuhira, and Chidori expresses those feelings, and they go unrequited, they, they go unrequ- unrequited because Katsuhira by that point has feelings for Noriko, and Noriko is her own nightmare, which we'll get to in a second. But Hajime has feelings for cheatery, and that love square, which only flows in one direction, gets very complicated very quickly. But because they all have shared in that experience, their relationship can kind of be washed out and be a real relationship, not just, you know, uh, somebody who you sit next to in class and talk to sometimes. Not just the kind of shallow friendships you have when you're young, that you uh, float in and out of when you're younger. And those kinds of real relationships, those kinds of real connections with another human being are difficult. They are incredibly difficult. And uh, most people, uh, when they're first, when they first encounter them, are not, are not only, not only do they make a huge attempt to avoid them, but they are, they're scary to people. Because that means that, because if, you have to, because you form a deep connection with somebody, then you're putting yourself out there. And when, and to anybody who's ever said to a, another person, I like you, I love you, I have feelings for you, putting yourself out there is scary. I mean, I, I've done it, I've done it a bunch of times at, Lots of people have done it a bunch of times, but it's always scary. It do- and it doesn't matter whether or not you're, like, really comfortable around women or really comfortable around men or really comfortable around whoever, the gender of whoever it is you're interested in. It's not about gender at that point. It's about you risking yourself to, tr- to make a real connection with somebody or in the hopes of making a real connection with somebody. 
So, to give you an idea, I had a girl, my second girlfriend in college, I was so, so fucking terrified of just saying, like, I like you, I want to be a couple, that I had to wait until, and if she's listening, she'll remember this, I had to, we, we're not, we're not together anymore, but I had to wait until I, until we had gone grocery shopping, because we were friends before we were a couple. We were really close friends before we were a couple. It was a weird, hidden her circumstances situation. Um, but we had gone grocery shopping together, which is a thing you do in the ghetto. <laughs> in, in, in ghetto, in, in a, in the ghetto when you go to art school, you go grocery shopping together. And she had left her jacket at the grocery store, which was straight up on the other end of the city. So I said, like, oh, maybe next time we go, they'll have it in lost and found. And then basically after that, I walked, I shit you not, in the rain to get her coat and brought it back. Now, lots of people would say, like, oh, Alex... That's so sweet. That's so chivalrous. No, it's not. That was the way that I would be able to do something that I felt gave me the excuse and ability to finally say, like, I got your coat. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm really into you and I want to go out. That was the thing that I needed to Give me enough courage to put myself out there in that moment. That's changed since. But it's hard for people to put... The point is, it's hard for people to put themselves out there. It's even harder for people to put themselves out there when there's a real when there's a real risk. But what Kid Niver does really well is that it... Forces it forces that it forces the hand of all the characters. It forces that risk, so that no, none of the eight characters can be contained, can, can can live a contained life. They have to share with each other, or else, you know, they go on into it, or else they're forced into a situation, and they are forced all the time. Now, the this show gets complicated when you get to Noriko, and so, extreme spoilers for this show, you find out basically that Noriko and Katsuhira, who's like, held up with this special interesting case of I have no pain, and I can only feel a, a variant, the emotional variant of pain, are our former Keith-Niver, our former Keith-Niver experimentees themselves. And Katsuhira is still connected to Noriko through his wounds, and and Noriko is trying to ultimately connect everybody in the world because she, she grew up and I can really emphasize with this a lot of the, in a lot of the ways that I grew up. She grew up disconnected from everybody else. She grew up alone, 
And when she was forced into the Kizna experiment, she was able to have friends. She was... But she read it as people were forced to be with her through the Kizna experiment. And to some extent, that could be true. But in reality, they just put her with other kids and she got to be a kid. But because she never experienced that before, when she experienced it and the Kizna experiment was added, she saw that as the different thing from any other time, so she latched on to that. And so she ultimately ends up trying to connect with the rest of the world. And this is the point in the show, and and this is true of many Studio Gainax shows and many Studio Trigger shows. There comes a time in all these shows, in lots of Studio Trigger shows, where they just come out and say what they're talking about, which I really appreciate. And it's usually at the end of the show, but I still appreciate it. When they're just like, no, the only thing that will save the world is true love and friendship, and you have to make an effort to make those bonds. And that's basically what the show says, and that's how it ends. And it ends with Kasuhira and Noriko finally being able to basically be a couple, but also they slot into the bigger dynamic of the other seven people around them and being friends with them and interacting with them and all of that stuff. Um, now, I've been ta- I'm stunned that I've been talking about this show for an hour already, so I think I'm going to cut it here. There's a lot more I could say about King Niver, but if you're interested in the show, it's actually available both subbed and dubbed on Crunchyroll. It's one of those weird shows. Um, kind of like Dorara and, um, what's the other show that I want? Oh, and Tenjo Tange. Tenjo Tange is available dubbed on Crunchyroll too, weirdly enough. But you can find it there. I've if you haven't given it a chance, you're like, this show seems weird, why am I watching this? Give it a shot. Give it a couple episodes. It it gets its head out of its own ass pretty quickly. Um, but, and also the weird, the weird chickens with Shibai ropes and salmon roe on their heads are just, like, top-notch, weird, creepy Japanese mascot design of all times. Just the best. I forgot what they're called. But they're great. Um, but if you like this episode of this show, you can subscribe to it on your podcast app of choice. Um, I will put a link in the description where you can go there, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show... You can also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, um, give me a monthly tip. Like I keep saying, you don't have to. That's not what I'm here for. This show doesn't stop if nobody does. I just thought I'd put it out there as an option for people if they were like, I really like this guy. I want to give him money somehow. Why should I stand in the way of that, you know? And until next time... 
I'm Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk at you next time. いろいろどう思う？こんな異常事態簡単に飲み込めんならバリウムなんだバケツ2杯は軽く余裕だっつの。その後のトイレとか大変じゃないかな。じゃあ豚汁バケツ2杯にしとくか。それは美味しそうだ